Welcome to the Truth CSGO podcast, episode 98. Today we're talking roster changes. Grim and Moses replace Nitro and Adren in Liquid. Kiebi replaces Bimas in Phase, amongst others. We're talking about Blast and Neom and their controversy. We're talking about CS Summit 6. And listener Steve has asked a couple of questions about girls and CS. Hey guys, this is Electro. Hey guys, I'm Guardian. This is Daps. This is Nico. This is Nifty. This is Chris J. This is Fair. Code Zero. Flusher. This is Kerrigan. Are you listening to the truth? The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. CSGO podcast. The truth CSGO podcast. The truth CSGO podcast. Are we rushing in or are we going sneaky beaky like? So the biggest news this week is that I am finally out of silver. And have joined my fellow brethren once more in the hallowed halls of Gold Nova status. It took several evenings and a single day of concerted, stressful matchmaking, sometimes with friends, sometimes with strangers, one time with an all-Indonesian team and 130 ping at around 4 in the morning. And this is not MG2, where I once sat plump and satisfied on my throne of above-average mediocrity, but I'm satisfied that the combination of new players and hackers and Valve's redispersion of the ranks means I'm probably just as good as I was several years ago, if not better, and that you can actually improve at this game over a short period of time, the most important factor being having control of your energy and adrenaline. I've now uninstalled the game, which at this point in time... <laughs> is basically the same as me not buying chocolate when I go to the grocery store. The simple act of not having it accessible within 30 seconds disqualifies it from a huge amount of impulsive moments that I might later regret because if my smoke-filled lungs have taught me anything, it's that my reptilian brain loves to wear the pants. In other good news, listener Bryce, who we interviewed a few apps back and was hard at it shoveling coal into the skin market locomotive, a.k.a. the Chinese Money Laundering Express, has now sold his knives. Anyway, let's go over the most recent news and some of what I've missed in the last three weeks. But first, this week's mood is brought to you by a quote from Bertrand Russell, who says, The whole problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are always so certain of themselves and wise people so full of doubts. Listen to the wind, to the wind of my soul Where I'll end up, well I think only God really knows I've sat upon the setting sun But never, 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 never I never wanted water once Never, never, never I listen to my words But they fall far below I let my music take me Where my heart wants to go I swam upon the devil's lake But never, 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 never I'll never make the same mistake No, never, never, never
Now, we got some news this morning that Jason Moses O'Toole is now to be coaching Team Liquid. He is obviously replacing Adren. This is a blow to the talent desk, but uh, the man's been looking for a new challenge, it would seem. I kind of assume that at some point Adren might be replaced as coach, but that he might stay on as some sort of analyst. It's kind of a shame because he was part of that winning squad that uh, won the IEM challenge in a record 67 days or something ridiculous. Uh, We've seen this happen a couple of years ago with Yanko stepping off the desk and becoming the coach of FaZe. Things haven't necessarily been as fruitful there as we... Well, I probably hoped. Um, but like Yanko, I wonder whether Moses is perhaps a little too friendly with these players. He always speaks about them so fondly. Uh, and he could just be a little bit on the same level. If we look at someone like Zonic, the gold standard of coaches, he seems like a father figure. And I'm not sure I can see Moses getting Stewie 2K or NAF to do something they don't want in the same way <laughs> I can see Zonic dragging Dupree out of bed. Um also on Team Liquid, Grimm has replaced Nitro. Uh, Nitro stepped down from the roster, I think, after five years of service, uh, which means that Stewie 2K is probably confirmed, I guess, as the IGL. I think he's been doing that for some time. Uh, it was always difficult for me to know how much Nitro was doing on that team. He came across neither as a, tech, a tactician uh, or a hype man, and I guess a lot of his value seemed to come from the length of his tenure. I think Nitro could bolster the fortunes of a Chaos or a Triumph or even a Cloud9, one of the younger teams, one of the teams with uh, less uh, guidance at the helm. Probably not Chaos because Steel's there, but perhaps he could be uh, whoever stepped in for Steel when the Major came around. I'm not sure. He's probably going to take a bit of time off and have a stream, and uh, it's possible we won't see him again. Now, he's been replaced by Grimm, as I said. If you don't know who Grimm was, he was playing with Triumph recently. He's been tipped as the one to watch in NA for a while. And he's actually debuted massively in Team Liquid's opening match against Zapug Gods. If you're wondering who TF Zapug Gods are, they are the Truth CSGO podcast's prodigal sons of the week. Of the year, probably. These are basically a bunch of players who, at the beginning of the year jumped over to Valorant and have now come crawling back with their tail between their legs. Nah, but seriously, who cares? Prepare the fatted calf, I say. Better now than later. And I imagine those uh, old Asterix cartoons, or maybe it was Tintin. I think it was Asterix, where they were in the desert. They were lost and, you know, dying of thirst. And then they saw a shimmering oasis of water. I think it was Obelix who ran and then sort of dove into this delicious-looking pool only to discover it was a mirage. And they had a mouthful of sand. So that's how I uh, envisaged these guys <laughs> and, their, and their trip over to Valorant in the last few months. Anyway, they are Cooper, Zelsus, Marky, Infinite, and Android. Or they were because also Android has apparently gotten fed up with their toxic comms and gone off to Valorant himself. I'm not sure whether he'd gone to Valorant and is now going back. I don't know. Anyway, he's making way for Moose who has been ejected from Envy, and we'll get to them in a second. I haven't seen a single game of Valorant, FYI, and I maybe never will. Let's go back to some of my personal faves. Um, Kirby, he's going over to FaZe, and he's replacing Bimas. I think this is a lovely pickup for FaZe. Bimas has had some highlights for sure in his little time with him, I think about three months. Definitely wasn't the playmaker they needed. Uh, and 
you know, I'm not sure he necessarily was given the opportunity to fully shine. From what I could see, he was basically slotted into a lot of Olaf's positions, like uh, ramp on nuke. Um, and I wasn't sure, I'm not sure where I saw it, but someone online said that without a strong IGL, this team kind of all need to be playmakers, uh, which I thought was you know, probably a pretty good observation. And Bimas didn't come with the giant balls pre-installed that Brokey seemed to ship with. <clears throat> I think this is a good start for him, actually. I think he should get a good team after this uh, and maybe take a little more time to develop some confidence. I'm happy for old mate Kierby, and let's hope this is his chance to shine again because I didn't feel like uh, North was really uh, necessarily <laughs> um, such a great vessel for his talents. Now, we will go back to Envy here because they've said goodbye to Moose and Ryan. They've put Legia into the role of a player and brought in Kuban as a replacement coach. That's right, the ex-Virtus Pro coach. So this team just becomes more and more of a scrambled egg breakfast <laughs> as the years go by. Um why Laguerre is in the role of a player, I'm not quite sure. They're obviously looking for one other player, but I can't imagine that his uh, role as player will continue for very long. My money is on Lecro uh, going to Envy, but there are rumours that he might be going to North and that North are going international because MSLs run out of friends who play CS or something. Uh, but anyway, I have no idea. Um, I, just, I just don't see this team making good moves. Although Kuban, I don't know. The guy's got a huge amount of experience. Maybe this will be the uh, Wrangler needed to get nifty in line. Uh, what else have we got? Scream has officially retired from CSGO, although we know he's been playing Valorant for some time. And also Freddie B has retired, apparently to become an engineer. So, I mean, look, Freddie B hasn't been on my radar for, for, for quite some time. I've mentioned him occasionally uh, in the, I think he was in Game of Legion the last uh, Swedish iteration of that. Uh, but it was definitely a shame to see Scream leave officially because he's, he was such an exciting player back in the day, 2016. I can't really say the same for Freddie B, uh, but he was definitely solid. Scream will come back one day when Valorant fails. Mark my words, he'll release a statement about how he's grown and some savvy org will capitalize on his brand name, which as far as I'm concerned was criminally underused in the last couple of years, just as Pasha Biceps brand lay completely fallow as far as teams uh, were concerned. Uh, speaking of Papa, he is now a full-time streamer under the Liquid Banner. I should say Papito. Uh, it is ridiculous that he did not go to another team. He was the only player to not have dipped in form by the end of Virtus Pro's breakup, and he was by far the most marketable person in the entire scene. And yet, people were paying, what, a million dollars for Cold Zero? Come on. Like, I just... I can't... I can't... I just do not understand what happened. Anyway, X7. You know him as the Iceman. He's joined Havu, apparently. Signed a contract with them, reuniting with some of his old teammates. However, you will still see him playing with Ents, at least until the Rio Major eventually is played in 2024. I guess Ents are banking on Yampi winning that lawsuit because what are they going to do? Uh, they've gotten rid of their safety net with uh, X7. Or maybe he just found a better offer. I'm not sure. <clears throat> Speaking of other players who I love and who have not been treated uh, as they should have been, or perhaps have not played as well as they should have, <laughs> uh, Adren, another Adren. He's been booted from Virtus Pro. 
So he wasn't doing very well, <clears throat> at least not up to the uh, standard he set at the PGL Krakow Major 2017. Um, but he's now finally been given the uh, shaft. And we did see Yekindar come in and take Buster's place not long ago. Apparently Buster's back in the team now, so it was just a temporary thing while uh, they worked out what to do with the Dren. I think he was calling back in May a Dren as the IGL, so I guess these guys are going to need another leader. Um, <clears throat> we're jumping all around the place here. Astralis, <clears throat> now this came out a little while ago. Astralis have released Yugi, my man Yugs, and they've signed Bubski. Bubski, of course, was on Mad Lions earlier this year. I thought I thought he might have been a little too volatile for uh, for Astralis, but then again, they tamed the beast that was 2017 Majisk, so who knows? Perhaps a soothing routine of daily Pilates with Zonic would be enough to get Oscar eating noodles with a fork. Uh, and obviously these guys now, I think, are, what are they up to, eight players now or seven? Apparently uh, Zo- uh, Glaive is going to be back in time for ESL1 Cologne, but Zip is still not answering his phone in Barbados. Um, what else have we got? Oh, yeah, also in Denmark, Innocent have joined Mad Lions. Innocent, that is uh, from that is a Polish player from Illuminar. So this is a very weird move because these guys are probably going to have to speak English, I guess, because I can't imagine why, Illum- uh, why Innocent would speak Finnish. Um, I don't even know why Finnish people speak Finnish, but that's another topic. Um, was he? Is he a good player? Is he going to be a good pickup for Mad Lions? Uh, he was okay. Um, I think I don't know if he was that special on Illumina. Um, anyway, weird. That's a weird one. We'll, we'll come back to that, I guess, at some point when they start playing some officials. Hobbit is now in Gambit Youngsters. Speaking of other ex uh, Gambit players, he's he's returned to the fold in the the young squad, which is nice. Maybe he's young at heart now. These guys have had a big winning streak recently in Tier 2 CIS comps. I think they now have a six-man roster. I'm not sure they've announced who he's taken the place of, but perhaps they're just going to be rotating for a while. Uh, nice to have a little bit of uh, mentorship, I guess, from Hobbit on that side of things. Phelps has finally been bought out into Boom from MIBR, although he's been on loan for a while. Gamer Legion have built themselves a new roster after the Swedish lineup fell apart in March. These guys still have Rusty, but it's now with Era, Adam9130, Metsy, and Zero. Ash is the coach, so that makes three UK dudes. These guys are obviously banking on something else here that's not completely Swedish. I mean, I wish them a hell of a lot of luck because they haven't had much. And uh, I can assume if this one doesn't work out, you know, I wouldn't blame them if they backed out of Counter-Strike. And we'll get to the viability of these teams in a second because we're going to talk about Quantum Bellator Fire. They also have a new lineup. And I hadn't realized, but Dream Eaters shut down in May. I miss this story completely. So this lineup for Quantum Bellator Fire is three of those Dream Eater guys plus two other guys, I don't know. But I'll read the CEO... Um, Anton Vinogradov's statement. This is the CEO of Dream Eaters because he released it uh, around the time that he released the Counter-Strike team. And it's very interesting and I missed it back then. So he said, the content of a roster of any level in CSGO is absolutely not profitable from an economic point of view. I advise everyone who has not read Kondakov's interview from Vega to do it. While working with PUBG Mobile allowed us to develop our YouTube channel to good indicators open our channel and compare with the channel of any CIS organization with CS and attract the manufacturer of super cool phones as a partner. And he's provided a link to some, I guess, 
phone manufacturer. And he continues, and all this in the shortest possible time and at minimal costs when compared with the same CS. Therefore, the choice, as they say, is obvious. <clears throat> so what he's saying here is that Dream Eaters were making far more money with far less outlay with uh, PUBG Mobile. <laughs> um, I guess some sort of PUBG Mobile YouTube channel than they were with an entire Counter-Strike team that had some quite good results last year. So that just goes to show you the absolute uh, dire state of things uh, and I guess explains a little why I wouldn't uh, blame Gamer Legion if they backed out of the door, if these three UK dudes and Rusty and Era don't put up any good numbers before the end of 2020. Let's move on to some of the other news. So we did miss uh, CS Summit 6. We'll talk about that very quickly. Big beat Vitality in the finals in a best of five and have been ranked number one ever since. And I'd like a moment, uh, I'd like to take a little moment here to say I told you so uh, because back in January when they added Keto and Susan, I said, watch out, didn't I? I said this was going to be a banger pickup, that those two had been cracking heads on Sprout and it turns out that that was what Big needed. So, uh, yeah, keep listening for- <laughs> for more predictions um on the north american side eg beat gen g in a best of five so it was gg's gen g couldn't get there over eg and receded into the bg which i really think just comes down to the hot blood and stanislaw's veins versus the lukewarm stuff coursing through daps capillaries because i think daps is a smarter igl but when it comes to finals stan is better at coming through wasn't as an exciting CS Summit because we didn't have Mouse Sports winning with two stand-ins this time over G2, but definitely awesome to see Big really stepping up and becoming the team, I don't know. I mean, the the, the, the Zantaris delivery service, basically, uh, with an amazing uh, scout player in Searson that we've been hoping there would be for a while. Let's move on to a bit of controversy between Blast and Neon. So there's been a bit of controversy controversy about Blast, who signed a sponsorship deal with Neom. And what is Neom, I hear you ask? Well, it's a new city that Saudi Arabia are planning to build from scratch near the Red Sea and the borders of Egypt, Israel, and Jordan. And they're basically doing the government equivalent of a business park, but in, to- in like total city terms. Apparently, it's going to be the size of Belgium. <laughs> and they're hoping it will attract a whole lot of tourists and people interested in living what supposedly will be a technologically... Uh, advanced paradise Uh, according to some news outlets the crown prince's vision because it's the saudi government themselves his vision incorporates some technologies that don't yet even exist like flying cars robot maids dinosaur robots and a giant artificial moon so let's just put aside the absolute um horrifying crassness uh of creating another mega city Uh, in the world that really doesn't need it uh, and not spending the money on anything actually you know worthwhile for society and let's just chat about what this (laughs) i'm sorry let's just chat about what this actual controversy is and the deal between blast and neom is going to be so jan patterson who's the managing director of neom sport commented in a press release neom aims to become a global hub for sport that unites communities enables active balanced lifestyles and accelerates innovation 
Esports is growing at a rapid pace and Neom is perfectly positioned to become the regional esports hub. Blah, 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 blah. We're excited about the experience and benefits Neom can bring to the industry. Shut the fuck up. In addition, we aim to inspire the development of young Saudi and international talent through a fully immersive esports academy. Blast will advise on the creation of the aforementioned Esports Academy as well as the expansion of the esports within the wider kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Uh, and according to a tweet from Blast, the partnership would also have spanned or will also span a neon themed map for Counter-Strike Global Offensive as well as educational work placements at future Blast events. And Blast CEO Robbie Dweck characterized the partnership as a record deal for the company. Now, the controversy around this um, is really because the Saudis have been accused of evicting members of the Huaytate tribe uh, who have lived there in this place where the Neom city is going to be built um, long before the Saudi state. And it's estimated that about 20,000 people will be forced to relocate to accommodate this planned city. And people like Vince, Frankie, and Pimp have been tweeting that they refuse to work for Blast should this uh, sponsorship deal continue. Now, it's unclear to me exactly what their viewpoints are. I think the relocation of the tribe might be part of it, but it also seems to be uh, against the case. Um, it It also seems to be the case that they're against this deal because of the Saudis' notoriously bad human rights records against their own people, including religious minorities, women, homosexuals, and political dissidents. And there's been... Some comments along these lines on the Reddit threads about this, but it does feel to me like a very slippery slope, and I have nothing against people standing up for what they believe in and uh, boycotting things because it don't feel like it's in the interests uh, or it aligns with their values. Certainly done that myself in the past. Uh, This is a very slippery slope, however, and the only human rights we've talked about on this podcast really have been the one million Uyghur in concentration camps in China that no one really seemed concerned about last December when IEM Beijing was held. And I did take the time to mention the kind of strange lack of acknowledgement of that back then. Uh, it, It was indeed an event that featured the talents of Frankie and Pimp. So the question may very well be asked, if you put political concerns before the esports events that are held, where do you draw the line? Dreamhack, who those talent have all at one point or another been involved with, held a tournament back in March in Anaheim. In March? In February? Or in January? Anyway, one of those months, just pre the lockdown. And so if you start to apply some human rights standards to whether or not you work Counter-Strike events, you have to look at, let's say, humanrightswatch.org that uh, talks about the fact that in March, the State Department uh, in the US approved a weapons sale of nearly $1 billion to Saudi Arabia, which was cleared by Congress. And also that month, the uh, the Senate narrowly failed to pass a measure to end US military support to Saudi that would have restricted US participation in the Yemen conflicts on grounds that it was unlawful. Also, the fact that the U.S. continued to support Israel and turn a blind eye to the ever-shrinking state of Palestine. And the fact that the United States officially withdrew from the U.N. Human Rights Council in June 2018, citing bias against Israel and the body's failure to reform, making it the first country ever to withdraw from that body. Uh, And shortly after, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, wrote to Human Rights Watch and 16 other groups, blaming them for the U.S.'s decision to withdraw, citing attempts to undermine efforts to improve the council. If you are going to attend a DreamHack event, 
such as DreamHack Anaheim, perhaps you want to consider the fact that last year US airstrikes in Afghanistan reached record levels with over 8,000 bombs and missiles dropped on Afghanistan between January and September, killing and injuring over 800 civilians, at least 250 of them children. And the fact that an estimated 14,000 U.S. troops remained in Afghanistan, including U.S. special forces involved in combat operations, and that CIA-backed Afghan paramilitary units outside the regular chain of command have committed extrajudicial executions and enforced disappearances. In fact, if we just move even a little bit further away from DreamHack, or should we say even closer to the biggest tournament organization, organization let's look at IEM Melbourne bunch of these uh, casters were supposed to be attending IEM Melbourne right now and I believe it would be happening next week was or maybe this week if everything was going to plan uh, and I wonder if any of those people would have protested the ongoing unlawful detention of refugees in our offshore detention centers or the destruction of indigenous lands by mining corporations or the treatment of indigenous people especially by law enforcement or the fact that Australia exports military equipment to Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates despite public concern about alleged war crimes by the Saudi-led coalition in Yemen. Where were these people when Blast Bahrain was held last December? We did a little educational episode about Bahrain, but according to Human Rights Watch, Bahrain's government carried out executions, convicted critics of peaceful expression and threatened social media activists. And I'll let you read more about what exactly they did. We know that uh, that tournament was sponsored by the Bahrain government with basically the same aims uh, as outlined in that NEOM agreement. And finally, just because, you know, we've come this far, what's going to cause the greatest humanitarian crisis over the next 100 years? Climate change. And the top three greenhouse gas emitters, China, the European Union and the United States, contribute more than half of total global emissions, while the bottom 100 countries only account for 3.5%. How's that for a human rights abuse? Every time you drive your car or buy another piece of shit you don't need or eat a steak or turn on your heater, you're chucking another log on the fire that the next generations will have to deal with. So at what point do you separate your values from your actions? I don't know. I think it's a personal thing. These people have chosen to do it with blast involvement with the Saudi Arabian government. And uh, that's fine. <laughs> Let's move on to some listener questions. So I got a message from listener Steve. Or Stephen, I should say. Stephen, I'm going to call you Steve. Steve is 15. He's from Canada. And he says... <clears throat> I feel like it's too easy for me to become attached to girls. I'll find them attractive and see that they have a nice personality and I'll get instantly hooked for a couple of months before getting rejected because they're out of my league. Do you know how to get past this or is this just some kind of phase? Also, I don't know whether I should be playing CS when school starts again. I've got a 95 averaged. I looked it up and it corresponds to high distinction in the Australian system apparently that I want to maintain and I don't know whether CS will have too huge an impact on that. I'm playing around three hours a day right now. Okay, Steve. Well, let's go in reverse with these questions. Now, school's probably started already, so I'm sorry about that. You've already had to make the decision by yourself uh, or with whoever else you have to help you because uh, you sent me this question three weeks ago. I'm sorry, it's taken me a while to get to it. Anyway, I hope you made the decision that's right for you. And just in case you're still up in the air, let's have a think about it. I'm not going to tell you what to do. That's for you to decide. But I can bring up some things that maybe you haven't thought about, or at least some of the things that I think about when it comes to this issue. Because like I alluded to at the beginning of the podcast, this is an issue for me too. 
So first off, I assume the three hours a day you've been playing is during holidays. So that's two games of match work, matchmaking's worth, basically. Uh, maybe three with a surrender or a 16-2 game or something. Um, okay, so the first thing I would ask myself is, what do I get out of those three games? And you might answer, well, it's fun to win and it's frustrating to lose, but overall I enjoy the process and the strategy. And maybe you meet some of your friends online and you enjoy the process of collaboration and working in a team with them. So that's all very valid and a perfectly reasonable way to spend your leisure time. But I would also ask yourself to look at how you feel afterwards and how does your body feel? How does your brain feel? And what do you feel like doing? These are questions I've been asking myself recently because I have really been noticing the way I've felt nauseous after some games i'm not sure that this always used to happen and it's possible because i've become a little more sensitive to the after effect of of adrenaline but the shaky jittery feeling after a clutch situation never leaves me feeling great even if i won the clutch and it's all beginning to feel to me a little like junk food that playing CS ends up making me feel a little like I've just eaten some junk food. In the same way I might feel, you know, like a little sick after some McDonald's or woozy after too much MSG, um, you know, in some Szechuan pork or something. I really don't know much about the science of all of this, but I think I've begun to realize that being addicted to playing CS means being an adrenaline junkie. And after the stress of an adrenaline hit, your immune system can downshift quite quickly and quite abruptly leaving you vulnerable to illness and your dopamine levels can really take a dive leaving you hungrier for quick hits so one way to think about how you want to treat your brain is to think about what you are feeding it what sort of diet is your brain on we all know what things you're supposed to put into your stomach but we're very less very much less careful about what we put into our brain and i think it's a very useful thing to think about what is my brain diet So Counter-Strike, to continue the analogy, seems to me to be an incredibly rich, uh, incredibly calorie-rich brain food. It has clearly defined short-term goals with high variability. It has loud, explosive noises. It has fast-moving graphics on a bright screen that shoots light into your eyeballs. And it has aggravating shit talk from faceless competitors. So this is like a cheesecake for your nervous system. And if what I'm describing sounds to you like a fair comparison, then I would ask yourself if maintaining your 95 average was dependent on the health of your body and not your brain, how often would you permit yourself to eat cheesecake? And there you probably have your answer. And if you're not good at limiting your intake of cheesecake, maybe you're not thinking hard enough about what you want your reputation with yourself to be. In other words, your self-esteem. So let's move on to the question about girls. And this one really needs a lot more information from you, but there are some general things we can surmise about you without having to get you on the podcast, which (laughs) if you want to come on uh, and discuss this some more, I'm happy to do that. Uh, So Stephen, I guess I can read into this that you value not becoming attached so fast to girls. You obviously don't enjoy being rejected by them and you've judged these girls as being out of your league which I think I can safely assume means that you are of the belief that they are of a higher social status than you. So once again, let's go backwards. What do I know about social status amongst 15-year-olds? So in my memory, the quote-unquote popular kids can be popular for different reasons, but they can be pretty shallow. Sometimes it's based on looks or sporting prowess. Sometimes it's based on whose family is the richest. And sometimes the coolest kids are just the most mean, (laughs) Uh, read the most insecure. Um, 
so it's not really until later, and I'm speaking in the most general terms, that most people's preferences uh, or I guess what creates popularity uh, will, t- will widen to sort of take in a whole other gamut of things. Somewhere in your experience, to me, it sounds like there's a mismatch between what you perceive your worth to be and what you perceive others' worth to be. And I can't tell where the mismatch is because I don't have enough information from you. And it might take you a long time to understand what it really is anyway. But maybe you already know. And you saying that these girls are out of your league is you simply using a cliche to describe the fact that they're more into confident guys or they're into more confident guys than you. But having known a few guys who used to talk about some girls as if they were out of their league, uh, erroneously, in my opinion, I would question your definition of leagues. Because if being out of your league means that she wears cooler or more expensive clothes than you, or that she's really pretty, or she's got a great body and you're chubby and covered in acne, then you're a sucker. Because confidence, true confidence, trumps both of those things, all of those things. At all ages it does, and especially at school, because you're all just students. The social hierarchy actually is incredibly flat by definition. And social status at all levels is always based on confidence. Even when there's actual physical or financial power involved or levels of competence, a social hierarchy is ordered by confidence. I guess I should say a social hierarchy of popularity. And Stephen, it's really impossible for me to know how confident you are and whether or not you think you want more confidence. But I can talk about myself, and I do know that in the past when I became too attached to people too fast, it was a combination of a few things because I've been in your situation. One thing I would do was to idolize someone to the point where I wasn't actually even seeing them as a human being, that they were some kind of goddess. And there were girls I immediately treated like we were girlfriend and boyfriend and fully dating before I'd even really gotten to know them. And in these circumstances, the girls withdrew, sensing that I wanted a relationship more than I wanted them, or that I didn't want to be alone more than I wanted to be with them, or that I wanted to live out some sort of fantasy more than I wanted to be with them. And I've since had girls do this to me. Girls and women do this to me. And... When someone does that to you, it's profoundly uncomfortable because you can sense that they're not really seeing you, that they're seeing uh, some solution to their own problem uh, and not really like the actual individual you are. It's also profoundly revealing of how they value themselves. So these girls who are rejecting you, I venture to guess, can sense that you are willing to sacrifice something about yourself, either your time or money or decision-making ability or other romantic options for their sake without even asking them and without really knowing them that well or having an agreement between the two of you for mutual sacrifice. Maybe they're getting the sense that you don't value yourself as much as you value them. And that's actually quite unattractive. If you think about it this way, Um, it might help. If your best friend were to offer you a sandwich, you'd be happy to accept it. And because you're already friends, there's an assumption of your reciprocity. But if someone you're neutral to, like a stranger on the street, offers you a sandwich, you might become suspicious. You might start to think, what's wrong with this sandwich? Why doesn't this person want it? So this is also the reaction that these women are having to you. Why are you offering yourself and your time and your love so freely without even really getting to know me do you not value yourself enough 
if you don't value yourself enough, why should I value yourself enough? In fact, <laughs> let's put it in CSGO terms. <clears throat> when did the Krieg start to become popular? When it started to become popular. Not when it was buffed, not when it was introduced, simply when others saw that other pros were using it. That's when it started to become popular. <clears throat> and that's a little bit like what attraction works. Uh, it's a little bit like how attraction works in social situations and especially when you're younger. Uh, so anyway, I guess we can ask, or at least I can ask myself, why did I act the same way as you did when I was young? And I think in my head, these girls represented solutions to feelings of loneliness or feelings of inferiority or my desire to dream. And also in a really weird way, my desire to please the mother figure in my life who I never really felt understood by. And that last one has been a pattern. It's taken me a long time to shake. And it's one that I'm still coming to understand to this day. It's basically the pattern of a people pleaser. Uh, you can probably Google some of this stuff if you're interested in it more. Or you can come on the podcast where we can talk about it because we're going a bit deep here, Steve. You didn't think we'd go this deep, did you? Anyway, if you don't want to go this deep, and I can imagine you wouldn't want to because you're 15, <laughs> um, you might find yourself <clears throat> looking up a bit of dating advice and Googling these sorts of questions. But <clears throat> there's a lot of dating advice out there. Uh, and a lot of it is like fast food for relationships. And a lot of it is for people who are older than you. And that is really important to remember because people's preferences change significantly as they get older in every stage of their life for all genders. The way you work socially and the preferences you have and the girls you're attracted to and the, the way those girls work and the preferences they have will change significantly between now and 21 <clears throat> and 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 and 70. So I would be very careful of listening to any dating advice uh, as if it's blanket advice. And a huge amount of the dating advice, especially the pickup artist stuff that you read online or the red pill bullshit, emerged from a community of pickup artists who plied their trade and wrote their books in the early 2000s while trying to pick up strippers in Los Angeles or Vegas. In other words, women in their early 20s with very low self-esteem. It's a true story. So a lot of that stuff was based, uh, a lot of the dating stuff has emerged from that. And a lot of that stuff originated uh, on trying to put someone down, trying to convince someone you're interested in sexually that their social status was below yours. In other words, it was basically no different to buying a really expensive watch and expecting to get a great relationship out of it, except you make someone feel shit in the process. But Steve, you don't need tricks. You don't need lines. You don't need mantras. All you need to know is yourself and your worth. And that's really what it comes down to because then you'll start treating everyone like human beings regardless of whether you find them attractive or not. And you getting attached to people uh, and then talking about them later on as if they're out of your league tells me that you might not be thinking of them as human beings. Um, in that, you know, a human being has good, bad and and so do you. Now, I don't know much about you, as we said, but here are a few things I know that are really cool about you. 
I'm talking about you, Steve. You know that you think your happiness is worth emailing a stranger to ask for advice. That's number one. And that is amazing. And we've got to remember, looking for love can be seen as needy, especially when you get older. Society can be very harsh to judge people who are open about their desire for love and an intimate connection, but that's not needy at all. It's totally normal. We all want love. In fact, we need intimate love to survive. And you're honest about that, and that's awesome. You have no idea the amount of people who don't have the thoughts that you are having about your behavior well into their 30s. Trust me, because I've dated some of them. Number two, you're a really kind person, Steve. You said some very nice things to me about my recent loss. That was very nice. You didn't need to do that. Number three, I can tell by your email you're well-spoken and literate. Now, literacy is an asset that is like a deposit in a bank with compound interest. The more literate you are, the more you'll read. The more you read, the more interesting thoughts you will have. The more literate you become, the more interesting thoughts you will then have. The more enjoyable you'll find life. And the more people will want to speak to you. And that is always an attractive trait. What's great about it is that it's a skill you can keep developing until you're dead. In other words, by this metric... You might peak in your attractiveness at the age of 90. So if you're going to look forward to something in life, why not that? Finally, let's be clear about something else. It's really tempting when you get rejected by someone to think, okay, well, back to the drawing board. It's time to work on me to get a six pack or a new haircut or some cooler clothes or really get my career started. But in essence, what that is saying is that you are not enough. And if you think you are not enough without a six-pack or without the new haircut or until you're a millionaire, not only will you never be enough for anyone else because, let's face it, your hair might fall out, you might lose your money, and it's very difficult to keep a six-pack until you're 90, but also no one else will ever be enough for you. Right now, you, Stephen, are enough. You are enough for you. You're in the process of transformation, that's sure. But in that process, you are enough, and you shouldn't forget that. That's pretty wonderful, and so are you. On a final note, I started reading For Whom the Bell Tolls again. It's been a while since I've read any Hemingway, and it's been a rather shocking experience to discover that the voice I once found so much solace in now seems to me to be naive, and doubly shocking to feel myself express that thought that I can read Papa, one of the greatest writers of the 21st century, who fought in two world wars, who won a Nobel Prize, who hunted lions in Africa, who fished tuna in Cuba, and find him naive. But there you go. I've been wondering whether it could simply be that we find anything we read over a decade ago naive, but a scarier thought is that it's probably because I live in an era so flattened of meaning, so scrubbed of all certainty by postmodernism and the hypothorescent illumination of all hitherto mysteries of existence and sex and the surface of the earth by the internet, so dulled and drugged by the availability of cheap goods and virtual entertainment and further worn by the distrust of all governments first in the 60s, of all democracy in the 2000s and all journalism in the year of COVID, that Hemingway's masculine nihilism actually seems childishly full of hope. That an American explosive expert could find once-in-a-lifetime love during the Spanish Civil War with an abused woman in a mountain hut while smoking cigarettes and drinking wine from skins now seems infantile in its rugged fantasy. No matter how bruisingly eloquently it's written, it's a sign that I've slid into a quagmire of cynicism far deeper than Hemingway perhaps ever envisaged. Envisioned. Envisaged. 
envisioned? What's the difference? That's a good question. Anyway, uh, it's, it reminded me of this poem by John Donne that is the seed of that book's title, No Man is an Island. And it's so pertinent to what I talked about in the last episode that I thought I'd read a bit of it now. It's also pertinent for Stephen, who only just is only just really embarking on the beginning of his journey of discovering the shared humanity behind all the artificial social structures that begin at high school and insist on separating us right up until the end. So here it is. No man is an island. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. As well if a, as well if a promontory were, as well as any manner of thy friends or of thine own were, any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind. And therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. So anyway, we've got DreamHack Open Summer currently playing out. Renegades just won the Oceanic component over Revant. Clap, clap, clap. And next week marks the beginning of ESL 1 Cologne. Online, of course, the Cathedral of Counter-Strike is the sweaty bedrooms of three dozen young men as of 2020. This podcast was brought to you by Rhinoceros Tears, a short midday climb up a freeway overpass, some crepes wrapped around a banana, and, as always, a tentative relationship with the idea of stopping biting my nails. Music was by Beaufort and Cat Stevens, a.k.a. Yusuf Islam. <laughs> <laughs> we have two more apps to go. Until next time, enjoy eating junk food, you gluttonous legends. Mm-hmm.